right, guys. We are continuing our study through the Psalms this morning, and Jordan and I just each picked out some of our favorite Psalms, and so we couldn't leave Psalm 23 off the list. And so this morning, we're diving into some familiar territory for many of us. But if you would, would you turn to Psalm 23? The book of Psalms is right about smack dab in the middle of the Bible, and the verses will be on the screens as well. So Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. So I think immediately when we dive into Psalm 23, we begin to feel ourselves standing on sacred ground. And that's because this psalm has been meaningful to so many people for literally thousands of years. And as I was studying the text, I began to ask myself the question, why this psalm in particular? Why is it so meaningful to so many people? Why is it so meaningful to so many of us? And I think it's because, partly... When we face hardship and trials, we feel what is always true of us. And that is that we are needy and helpless and desperate. And so this picture that we get in the psalm of a shepherd taking care of his sheep is beautiful to us in times where our faith feels so weak and inadequate. In other words, we need somebody who is faithful when we are faithless. I was reminded of of this when I was on a walk with my kids the other day, and we ended up stopping next to the road, and there was a mama duck trying to make her way across the road with her little baby ducks behind her. She's got like seven baby ducks. And they made this valiant dash across the street. And keep in mind, with my five kids with me watching this, this is like the ultimate entertainment drama. TV's got nothing on this, right? So there's cars zooming and whatever. These ducks are going across and there's cars stopped. And at one point, there was a guy who was going really fast. And then he sees us watching the ducks and he kind of looks over, looks at the ducks, looks over, looks at the ducks. He's going like 30 miles an hour, slams on the brakes and screeches the tire so he doesn't kill the ducks. Anyway... Ducks get to the other side of the road, and six of the seven easily make it up the curb. But there's this this one duck that keeps on trying to climb the curb and can't climb, it can't climb, it can't get up the curb. And so the mom just left the duck there and it died. No. Right? (laughs) So then the mom duck, right, doesn't want to leave the one duck there. And so you keep seeing this mom duck climb down and try to push this little duck up. And finally, To all of our relief, especially my little girl's relief, 
they all made it safely to the other side and presumably safely home, right? And what comforts us about Psalm 23 is that Jesus is the Lord who will bring us safely home. He won't leave any of us behind because we're too weak. In fact, Christianity has as one of its requirements us being weak because we serve a God that doesn't demand that we be perfect, but is our good shepherd. So let's open up this text and look at it together. We're going to see three different things in the text. We're going to see that he, he meets our needs, that he's with us in the valley, and that the Lord will bring us home. He meets our needs, he's with us in the valley, and the Lord will bring us home. So first of all, the good shepherd meets our needs. Okay, again, verses one through three, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his, his name's sake. So right off, we've got this picture of the Lord being our shepherd, which puts us in this position of being sheep. And I think that we've all taken comfort in this picture of this paradise for a sheep. You've got a sheep lying down in green pastures. You've got a sheep beside still waters. A sheep who has all of its needs met. In fact, the text even says, right, that as a sheep under the shepherding of God, we feel like we have no needs. I shall not want. All of my needs are met. And that's a beautiful picture. And I think at times, maybe in mountaintop experiences, we really feel that way. We feel like God is taking care of me. It is so wonderful to be in a relationship with God. But I think if many of us are honest, we would say, why is this not my daily Christian experience? Why am I often not feeling like all of my needs are being met? And I think this is an often overlooked part of this very familiar text. And that is the purpose that God has within all of this. What does it mean that God meets our needs? Because we often as human beings, we confuse our wants for needs. And so here's the purpose of God in his shepherding of us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, the definition that God gives to the still waters and the green pastures is that he would lead us in right paths. In other words, that he would lead us to places of obedience. There's going to be no joy, no green pastures, no still waters, as long as we are living as disobedient Christians. Because to be a disobedient Christian is a contradiction in terms. And later in the text, what we see 
is that the shepherd has a staff and he has a rod. And both of those are corrective tools. In other words, maybe the reason that you're not feeling that your needs are being met is because you are living a disobedient life. And so you're wandering away from the green pastures. You're wandering away from the still waters, thinking that you're going to find life. And you're getting hit upside the head by the shepherd. Because he wants you to walk in paths of life. And how quickly are we like sheep who go astray, go our own way, and stupidly try to find life apart from the shepherd? The reason that we need a shepherd is because we're dumb. We need God to help us. Let me give you an illustration of just how dumb sheep are. Okay? I love this story. I actually have used this a couple times before. And I looked up this particular story about a bunch of sheep that jump off a cliff. And there's actually new stories that have come in. So this has happened multiple times throughout the world. This particular example happened in Turkey. Listen to this news report. As Turkish shepherds watched on while their herd of sheep grazed, one sheep decided that it had enough of the world and jumped to its death. It doesn't stop there, though. As the stunned Turkish shepherds looked on, their herd of sheep one by one followed the initial sheep's actions and jumped to their death as well. A whopping 1,500 of them. It was reported in the end 450 sheep died after the mass suicide jump. The shepherds were able to save quite a few as those who jumped later were saved as the pile of sheep got higher. Therefore, the pile became more cushioned. Unfortunately, this mass suicide of sheep had an estimated loss to families of $100,000, a very significant amount of money as the average gross domestic product per head is around $2,700. So you can imagine this picture, right? One sheep and a wonder then jumps off the cliff. And the other sheep think, oh, that looked fun. I kind of heard him scream and he was having fun as he went cliff jumping. I should do that too. And the shepherd, you can see him kind of scrambling. This guy was not a good shepherd. Apparently these were terrible shepherds, right? <laughs> and the sheep are just jumping one by one off the cliff. The reason that we need a shepherd is we have this exact same tendency. Sin is like a suicide mission. Each of us is born with this internal craving to kill ourselves with sin. When we stand back and we look at our lives, we would actually not be able to justify our actions and to say that we actually believe that the choices we make are the best choices for us. We often do things that even we would say, are dumb. And so we need the good shepherd to lead us in paths of righteousness. And where do we get these paths of righteousness? We find these paths in the word of God, in the truth of his word. And you might think, sometimes I read the Bible and I kind of disagree with it. Let me offer this solution to your problem. God is smarter than you. 
It's not that God has bad ideas. It's that you're just that dumb. And God is that smart. So I understand at this point you thought, okay, I read Psalm 23. This is going to be a feel-good message, right? Like this is supposed to be like knitted by your grandma hanging in the bathroom. But what we find is that the text is not just beautiful, it's also convicting. And sometimes God says hard things to us because he really wants to turn us around. And maybe this is a Sunday where God is going to keep you from doing something that will destroy your life. He wants to be your shepherd. So that's the first example we see of the Lord stopping at nothing to bring us home. But along the way, along this journey in life, many of us run into different trials and temptations that we would describe as a dark valley. And sometimes it's in those valleys that we feel like the shepherd is not there. And the good news of this text is that the good shepherd is with us in the valley. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a unique experience of God's presence when you're in the valley. You get the picture here. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's dark. The sheep are moving slowly through this valley with the shepherd. The sheep get scared. The only option is to stay close to the shepherd, to experience his presence. Guys, you know, many of you know, that Melissa and I have been walking through a dark valley recently. So the last five months, our son Jude has been at Children's Hospital of Minnesota, started out as a congenital heart defect. His lungs are very sick. He's been in a really bad place, and we've been riding this emotional roller coaster as there seems to be good news, but the overall picture has not been good. And I'm telling you, there has been no more encouraging words to me than he is with we have experienced deep pain in the valley. Pain that I maybe never thought I would experience in my life. I never thought that I would look at my son suffering so much. I never thought I would experience that. And at times it feels like I'm standing right on the edge of a cliff and I can see over that cliff my son's death. And I wonder if today's going to be that day. But in that pain, my testimony continues to be God is there. He's there. He's not there 
in some mystical, like, ooh, new agey sort of way. Here's how he's there. Through Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I know that scripture, and in the moments when I am afraid, I have to bank my life on that. And God, by his Holy Spirit, brings those words to mind when I need them most. And in that sense, experience the calming presence of God. You might be wondering, how do you not just bail on your faith when you go through that kind of valley? How do you trust that God is there? How do you know his presence? And the answer is, God will give you the grace to experience the valleys that he puts in your life when you get to the valleys in your life. But my encouragement to you is, hide God's word in your heart. Memorize Psalm 23. Know this scripture. You might not need it right now, but there will come a time in your life when you will need it so that you know intimately God's presence in your life. Here's an encouragement about this text. It says that the valley is not the valley of death, right? It's the valley of the shadow of death. Which means what's being pictured here is a great shadow, I think, that's covering up the sun, right? It's not that the valley is permanently dark. There's going to be an end to the darkness. It's a valley of a shadow. It's just a shadow. And what this text reminds us of is that there's light at the end. That although you might be behind this shadow, you kind of see this imposing figure standing over this valley, and the sun seems to be blocked out, the sun is still shining. You know, I've been reminded of this over the last week, as a couple different times I've come into my son Jude's room, and you know, he's hooked up to a ventilator, and he's been poked more times than I've probably been poked by needles in my entire life, and he's been through like seven surgeries, and he's going to have another heart catheterization coming up. He's been through so much. And my wife and I have both said to each other, we've been so humbled because we walk in there, and different times we've held him. And he just has this massive cheesy grin on his face. Just this huge smile. And we've said to each other, if Jude has something to smile about, then we've got something to smile about. So we might as well take on his perspective. But do you know what I think his perspective is? Mom and dad are here. They're with me. Everything's good. They're with me. They're present with me. They care about me. They love me. They're here. And in the same way, we can have that perspective. Because the good news is not that suffering and trials and valleys will not come into your life. The good news is that no matter what suffering you go through, 
Jesus will be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And although you don't know where you're going, he is a great leader and he knows exactly where he's taking you. He's taking you home. He's bringing you home. We don't understand why part of the journey has to be through the valley, but we can trust based on the authority of God's word in Psalm 23, that he's taking us home. Let's keep going. Lastly, we see the Lord will bring us home. Verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, here's good news for some of you. This is where the shepherd sheep thing stops in the text. Some people think it keeps going. The vast majority of people think this is where the text stops talking about shepherds and sheep, and it starts giving this analogy of home. Here's why I think the text does that. In relationship to God, we often feel like sheep. We feel helpless. We feel desperate. We feel unworthy. We feel undone. We feel like we don't know where we're going. And we need God to be bigger and stronger than us and to have better perspective than us like a shepherd. But sometimes we can begin to live like all I am is a sheep. I'm just a sheep. I'm nothing. I'm no good. You just stick on point one. Drew said I'm dumb. You write me an email. Thanks a lot for calling me dumb. This is my last time at Salt City. <laughs> and you live in this place of just wallowing in your sheepishness, your weakness, your unworthiness as a Christian. That's part of it. But whereas sheepishness, being a sheep, describes our dependence on God and our unworthiness to be in his presence, he can only use the language of sons and daughters of a king to describe our identity in him and our relationship with him. See, the Bible is unique in that it says both. I was talking to my daughter, Ari, about this last night. So Melissa had gone to the hospital to see Jude. And so the girls drew the short end of the stick and dad was putting them to bed. And so I came down and my daughter, Aria, it was so sweet and so sad. She's just got her pink toothbrush and she's standing on the stool and she's putting her pink toothpaste on the pink toothbrush and she's brushing her teeth and she's just weeping. Like, I just want mom just want mom. And I'm like, I wish mom was here too. I know. And, you know, trying not to get offended. And then, you know, we walk back to the bedroom and she gets in bed and I'm trying to comfort her. And so I say, Aria, I'm teaching about Psalm 23 and I quote Psalm 23 often to my kids. And so I'm talking about Psalm 23 tomorrow at church. And I've just been reminded that we're just sheep. Jesus 
is always with us, and he loves us, and he cares. And I thought we were having this moment, you know, like, he cares for us, and he loves us. And she just looks at me, and she's still kind of crying, and she goes, I am not a sheep. <laughs> right? She didn't finish the sentence, but if she were to finish the sentence, it would be, I am not a sheep, I'm a princess. Right? No little girl wants to be called a sheep. <laughs> and so I said, sweetie, you're right. You're not a sheep. The Bible says you're like a sheep. <laughs> and, but forget about that. You're my little girl, and I love you, and I care about you, and I wish mom could be here. And she said, but I want a mommy date. I said, okay, you know, mom will probably take you to Panera for breakfast and you'll get to put your dress on and all that. But here's the thing. Although we know that we're like sheep, we also simultaneously know that we are royalty. We've been created in the image of God and we long to be with him not as second-class citizens, but we long to be at his table. And this is what the text says. Admit you're a sheep, follow the shepherd, trust him, because he's leading you to a place where you will be at the table with the king as his sons and daughters. The text says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what that means, literally. It means that goodness and mercy are chasing after you. You can't outrun God famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon said this about this text. Goodness supplies our needs and mercy blots out our sins. You see, every other religion out there is about what you can do for God. It's about how you can perform. It's about your faithfulness to him, not Christianity. Christianity has a never-stopping, pursuing God who will chase you down, not with anger and wrath and justice, but with love. He wants to supply your needs. He wants to blot out your sins. He wants to take away your condemnation. And what we need to do to experience him as our king and our shepherd is to let go of our sin. To stop believing that we can find life apart from him. To give up those things we really think are going to give us life and instead begin to follow the shepherd home. Now, how can we be sure that the shepherd will leave us home, lead us home? How can we be sure that that's where this whole thing is going? God has put in history this unique event that forever tells us that God is for us 
and not against us. Here's what Jesus said in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now imagine that. David had said, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus, another man, stood on the earth and said, I am the shepherd. See, the shepherd became like one of us. He clothed himself in humanity, not so that he could say to us, look how much better I am than you, although he could have done that. But instead, he did that to lay down his life for you and for me. But it goes even further than that. Jesus didn't just go from heaven to earth to walk on the earth as our shepherd to lay down his life for us. The Bible actually says that the shepherd went a step further. He became a lamb. Look at Revelation 7, 17. This is a picture into heaven. It says, For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Isn't that an interesting sentence? He will lead them to fountains of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, the shepherd actually became a lamb. The shepherd came all the way down to us. He's seen life from our perspective. He knows what it's like to walk through the darkest valley. And the darkest valley that Jesus walked through was on the cross. And he was killed as a lamb in our place for our stupidity and for our sin. So that he would be our perfect shepherd. That in all of our weakness and all of our ugliness... We could look at him and say, that's a guy that I can trust. He knows my pain. And Jesus did that because he wants to lead you and I into a place where there will be no more pain. Where he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Do you trust him? Are you willing to look away from your own agenda for your life? Your own plan? your own priorities, and to see that the best life is not in following your own ideas of what that is, but in following the shepherd. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you lay down your life for your sheep that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, it is amazing to be able to just take an hour on Sunday morning to look at your word and to be reminded again of how quickly we wander from the paths that you've laid down for us. But thank you that you give us an opportunity to come back run back to you. Help us find our joy and our delight in you. In Jesus' name.